All right. Good morning, everybody. I knew I'd get your attention the second that you heard that music. I saw some of you perk up and go, wait a minute. Am I at the movie theater? Where where, where am I? What am I doing here? Well, we're glad that you're here. The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. If you think about that, that has a lot to do with what we're going to be talking about uh, today. And so I show you that video today for two reasons. Number one, did you know that last this past week was the 40th anniversary of Star Wars? Did you know that? How many, how many people knew that? How, I want to admit that you knew that, right? Don't ask why I knew that, right? Uh, 1977. How many of you remember what you were doing in 1977, right? Neither was I, right? Amazing, right? Some of you do remember that, though. You remember going to the movie theater for the first time and seeing the very first one. And the reason I show you that is as you uh, look at that, we are we're beginning a whole new sermon series today on the book of Acts. No, no, George Lucas wasn't thinking about the book of Acts when he made Star Wars, but there's a lot of interesting parallels here that I want to point out for you. We're going to be going through this book of Acts the entire uh, summer, called the Summer of Acts here at Hope at all of our campuses. And as you can tell, as you were just looking through that plot, if you knew nothing about the Bible, and if you knew nothing about what the book of Acts was about, and you saw that opening, right? I don't know about you, but I would want to know the rest of the story, right? So that normally would lead into, like, lead into the beginning of a Star Wars movie, right? That is the lead-in to one of the greatest stories and action-packed adventures that you'll ever read, and it's in the Bible. It's one of those amazing books that's in that Bible you hold in front of you. This, this plot reads very similar. So think about this in terms of the book of Acts and the beginning of the church and what's going on in Scripture. There's good and evil. There's a small rebel force that's seeking to restore peace to the planet, but they cannot do it without the power of the force, or as we call it, the Holy Spirit, right? It just would feel kind of weird to say, may the Holy Spirit be with you. Like, that's just kind of weird uh, to say that. In fact, a good way to tell, I was thinking about this, if you're at a Star Wars movie, a good way to tell how many Lutherans are there, that every time in the movie they say, may the force be with you, you know how many people stand up and say, and also with you, right? You're going to know how many Lutherans are there uh, in the movie theater. But just like the beginning of The Star Wars movie, as we begin this story of the early church, it is sure to be filled with heart-pounding action and adventure. And the best part, different than Star Wars, the best part about Acts, it's true. It's true. And how do we know that? Because you are the continuation of that story. You are the next episode. You are the next chapter in the book of Acts. The reason that we're here this morning is because a small, ragtag band of rebels decided to take Jesus up on his offer to literally change the world. And the reason that we're here this morning is not by accident. That's why we don't say that, because the same, that's the reason we say it's no accident you're here is because the same Holy Spirit that was leading and guiding them is leading us and drawing us here together today. And that's where we start. And so as we lead into that movie, we pick up the action in Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open those up. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible every single week. If you need ones, they're always uh, in the back for you to take uh, and give to your friends as well. So Acts chapter 1 is right after the Gospel of John. So the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the back of your Bible. And we encourage you to follow along today because we're going to be looking through this story. When realistically, uh, chronologically, uh, and because of the author, Acts should follow Luke. But it doesn't. That's the way that the canon ended up. But really, it should follow Luke. Luke, the author of Luke and Acts, Luke the physician, this this, um, 
One of the early apostles that traveled with Paul on a lot of his early missionary journeys, planting churches uh, all over the Mediterranean region and, and, South, or, excuse me, and the Asia Minor as they're traveling around. Luke is literally with them. So if you want to know if Acts is true or not, it was written by a guy that was there. It was written by a firsthand account of a guy that's experiencing all this action take place. And a lot of scholars call this Luke-Acts. It's like part one and part two. Because can you imagine going to the first Star Wars and then be like, there was never any other Star Wars made ever? It would just kind of leave you hanging, right? And you're sitting there going, what's next? We need the Empire Strikes Back, right? We, we, we need to know what's next in the story. And so Acts is what's next. And it turns out that's the exact question that the followers of Jesus are asking now. If you think about it, at the very end of Luke, this is where Acts picks up now, at the very end of Luke... This guy named Jesus lived and died on a cross and literally came back from the dead and over the next 40 days starts appearing to people as his followers all over and you're kind of just left there and so as a follower of Jesus, you're probably saying, what's next? And that's exactly where we pick up the story in the beginning of the book of Acts. It says all the believers were together because that's what Jesus told them. He said, don't leave yet, don't do anything, stay together in Jerusalem And they're all gathered in this upper room together, and he says, stay there until I come to you. And now Jesus has come to them, and he's telling them some more. It says they're eating together, probably Panera takeout or something like that, uh, gathering together. And they're asking Jesus, what's next? If you read the story, they're saying, Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? When are are you going to put us back in power? When are you going to kick out those Romans? And even now, they still don't get it. They think that Jesus is here for their social or political agenda. And sometimes we think the same thing today, and Jesus has to remind them, you guys, my kingdom is not of this world. That's not what's next. I didn't defeat the power of sin, death, and hell and come back to just kick out the Romans, but a much greater enemy has been defeated. And now you guys are going to go do that. So they're asking, what's next, what's next? And Jesus turns to them here in the beginning of Acts and says, you are. And he's looking at you this morning. He's saying, you are. You're the next episode. You're the next chapter in this story. And so chapter 1, verse 8. It's up here on the screen. If you can read that, let's read it nice and loud together. Go ahead and go to the next screen. Let's read this from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then after that, a short time later, it says Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, like poof, like he just, I don't know how it happened. I imagine that maybe it just disappeared into thin air or he just started floating or maybe Jesus got out like a God-sized zip line and just like went all the way, like, bye guys, whoa, I've always wanted to do that after a sermon here. I kind of make my final point and there's like a giant zip line that goes up to the loft and I just like, bye guys, and just go up there. That'd be fun. Maybe next Easter. Um, however... I, we don't know exactly what it was like, but Jesus ascends to heaven. Is like, here you go. And he, he just goes up to heaven. He's probably saying, okay, any questions? No, you don't need questions. You, you got it, right? I've given you everything you need. In fact, I'm going to send my very spirit, my very presence called the Holy Spirit next chapter. In just a short time, I'm going to come. And that's it. That's, that's the opening. If you're writing a TV show, you know there's something called a pilot episode And then if that pilot episode does really well and gets really good ratings and is really exciting, then the networks pick it up and then they renew it and then you get seven or eight more episodes for the first season. That's not bad for a first episode. Guy comes back from the dead, reappears to his followers, shows up, says, I'm going to give you this 
life-transforming, world-changing power inside of you, and then he just zips on up to heaven. And you're left going, what is going to happen next, right? And that's the book of Acts. That's really exciting. But if we pause here for a second, we're eight verses in to a really long book. And already what I love about the book of Acts is that it brings us back to the core. It brings us back to the beginning of the church. And if you're thinking, what is the church? What, what, what is it all about? What does it mean to be a part of hope? What does it mean to be a part of any church? What I love about Acts is that if we just took the story of the early church, and if we just took maybe one of the Gospels, let's say the Gospel of Luke, and put it together with Acts, and, and you put away all your preconceived ideas about what the church should be. All of us have different backgrounds. Some of us grew up in the church. Some of us didn't. Some of us had really good experiences in the church. Some of us didn't. And if you put all of that aside and all of your assumptions of what it means to be a churchy person or what it means to be a religious person and just take Jesus for what he's worth. And if you just read one of the Gospels, I dare you to do that. And I guarantee you will fall in love with this man named Jesus. And because of that, you'll fall in love with one of his greatest loves, and that's the church. And you read the book of Acts, and if that's all we had, what would we say the church is? I guarantee it's probably not going to be a building on Ingersoll Avenue. It's probably not going to be a worship service once a week. There's probably something more. And so that's what I want to dig into today. And just I want to walk through four big ideas, four keys that pop out to me is that we just took the first eight verses of Acts. That's it. What would we believe the church to be? So take it at face value. So we're going to walk through those together. So if you're in the beginning of Acts, look through this with me. Number one, what do we know? There's a group of people that is gathered together. So that's all we know. I don't know anything about the Bible except that. And first, there's followers of Jesus. Everybody say followers. That's the first thing we know. Followers of Jesus. They're gathered together there in the upper room. People who, if you ask them, I'm just imagining going there and interviewing one of them. And these people that have had their lives changed by Jesus, they'd probably say, okay, here's, here's what I know. Um, I'm here in this upper room, and I'm trying to think back about three years ago, there was this rabbi from Nazareth, and he called me to follow him. And so I started following him around, going everywhere, and he just started changing people's lives. I mean, Nobody ever loved like him, and nobody ever served people like him. I mean, he was God, and yet he was like healing people and serving people, and just this guy was amazing, and, 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 and he gave me purpose for my life, and he set me free from my past, and then we thought all was lost because he was, he was executed. He was nailed to a cross and crucified, and then three days later, he, he came back from the dead, and I was walking along the road one day, and this guy that I thought was dead, who's supposed to be God, and I put my hope in him, and well, now he's back, and I don't know what to do, and he reappeared, and then he said, just stay here in, in my home in, in the city in Jerusalem for a while, and then he's going to come, and he's going to give me this power, and he's going to say, you're going to go keep doing it, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. If you just took it at face value, you look at that and go, wow, I want a piece of this as well. I want to know the story. I, I want to know this Jesus as well. So what is the church? First and foremost, followers of Jesus. Everybody say followers. followers. Next, keep reading. What is Jesus essentially saying in verse 8, that verse that we read? Go and be my witnesses. Go, you have a green light. You are sent on a mission. Everybody say sent. You are sent on a a mission. And what is that mission? It's not our mission. It's not our agenda. It's God's 
mission. I want to walk you through just sort of a jet tour of the Bible because I'm going to start in Genesis and we're going to end at Revelation. I'll get you out of here by noon, I promise. Some of you are like, no, I can't. No, we're not going to do that, right? But I believe that when you look through the Bible, it is the story of a God who sends. It is a story of God who pursues even himself. Think about the very beginning of the story. The mission starts almost immediately. Genesis chapter 3, the mission is already underway. Adam and Eve, they sin. They eat from the forbidden tree, the fruit they're not supposed to eat. And they go and they hide in their sin and their shame. Something you and I do all the time. And who comes after them but the God who created them? God doesn't sit back and go, well, you screwed up too badly this time. It says God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He pursued them just like God pursues you in your sin and your guilt and your shame. And God comes after them. And he pursues them. The mission has already begun. God's on the move. Fast forward a few chapters to Genesis chapter 12. God comes to this guy named Abraham, who is the father of a great nation, of Israel, that you and I are a part of this family tree. And he says, Abraham, I want you to leave everything you know, and I want you to go to this land you've never heard of. And in order for Abraham to be obedient, he had to get up and go. He had to leave his comfort zone. God sends him. And then if you think this is just an Old Testament thing, Jesus picks up on this idea of sending, and in the greatest act of sending ever on this mission, God sends himself, and he sends Jesus. And one of my favorite passages, and I love the way that the message version of the Bible puts this in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, or the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. God sent himself. Jesus came to us. And then because Jesus is a great leader, he's not going to ask us to do anything that he hasn't done. And in John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. So when we arrive on the scene here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if you're a good Jew and you understand the history of your people, this should not come as a shock to you. God is asking you to join him in what he's been doing since the beginning of time. And that is being sent. It is impossible to be a Christian and not be on mission. Let me say that again, because some of you are like, I don't know if I really believe that. It is impossible to be a Christian and not be on mission. It is the primary identity of the church. We haven't gotten to anything else yet. And all we have is followers of this guy that came back from the dead who have been sent on a mission. That's what we have. It's not like, well, some Christians are called to be missionaries and some Christians are called to be pastors and some Christians are called to work at a church, but I'm just regular old Christian with an ordinary job and an ordinary family and an ordinary life. You are sent on mission. You cannot be a Christian and not be on mission. So we have followers of Jesus sent on a mission. Everybody say sent. So what is the church? Last but not least, Jesus says, the first thing Jesus tells them is that you will receive Power. Everybody say power. And not just any power, but the power that raised Jesus from the grave. The power of the Holy Spirit. There's a big difference between not having power and power. You can't do this mission alone, Jesus says. I never, I'm not sending you out alone. I'm sending you out with power. And sometimes we forget to use the power. Reminds me uh, several years ago when we were renovating this building, which can you believe we've only been here for two and a half years It's pretty crazy. It seems like we've been here forever, but we were out there uh, demolishing some things in the parking lot, some of the the, uh, concrete slabs that the the old um, parking lot lights were in. And we were out there, four or five guys, maybe some of you were with me, and we had sledgehammers. 
And we were out there working on one of the many work days that we had here at the building. We were smashing away at it. It was like, man, this thing's huge. This is going to take forever. And then out of the back of the building, one of our lead construction guys, Mark, that owns his own construction company, comes out of the back with this giant skid loader that has like this, uh, this jackhammer, this screwdriver, I don't know what it's called. It comes out of the back, and this thing that just destroys concrete, and he comes out, vroom, vroom, and we're like, whoa, where did this guy, where did he come from? He comes around, he goes, guys, I got this, and he comes and he just goes, Exactly, sounded exactly like that. And just dismantles the thing in about 30 seconds. And we're standing there sweating, exhausted with our, with our um, sledgehammers, and he just destroys the thing in 30 seconds. We're like, where have you been all day, right? It makes a huge difference when you have power. Doesn't matter if you're dismantling something or if you're trying to live on mission for Jesus. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit, just like Jedis can't do it without the Force, Right? May the force be with you. Jesus says, my Holy Spirit is with you and it's living inside of you wherever you go and whatever you do. So if you ask me of a definition of church based on eight verses in the beginning of the book of Acts, I would say this. Followers of Jesus sent on a mission living in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. I want you to notice something. We haven't talked about buildings yet. We haven't talked about worship services. We haven't talked about style of worship, traditional or contemporary. There wasn't a church service. There, was, they, there wasn't even a place to have one at this point. They, they weren't thinking about that yet. They were so on fire with this idea of the resurrection, they were sent on this mission. Nothing about traditional or contemporary or the, the size of church or, or worship bands. They hadn't even talked about donut holes yet and what they were going to have for breakfast or men's Bible study or women's ministry or any of these things. If we just take it at face value, this is what it is. And a really good challenging question that I want to ask you this morning is if you're a part of a church and you're a follower of Jesus, are you living those things out? The church is Jesus' great love, and you are a part of it. Whether you think you are or not, are you following Jesus every day? Are you living on mission every day? Or just kind of coming and consuming for an hour a week? And are you living in the power of the Holy Spirit? You have this power available. Jesus is saying, plug into the power. Ask me for it, and I'll pour out my Holy Spirit into your life. Have you asked him for that recently? Or are you a Christian that's running on empty these days? Are you living those things out? The primary identity of the church is people who have been sent on mission. What if we actually believe that? And here's the thing. Truth, the, our language, creates the truth that we believe. Language creates culture. I was thinking about this this past week and going back to my Sunday school days. Maybe some of you, if you grew up in the church, you remember this little thing from Sunday school or maybe your, your parents or your grandma taught you or whatever, but this is an all play. Everybody take your hands out like this. Remember this? Everybody put your hands like this and interlock your fingers, right? And then keep your index fingers up, right? What do we say? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. See all the... <sighs> your Sunday school teachers and your grandma lied to you. I never thought I'd say that from the stage, right? What did we just say? Here's the what? Here's the church. Here's the... This isn't the church. That's a building that a bunch of people happen to gather in that call themselves the church. And I know it's splitting hairs, but it makes a big difference. This is not the church. And you know what? We don't have a steeple. And even if we did, it wouldn't make 
a difference. Some people do and some people don't, and that's fine, but I think it would be a little bit more biblical to say, here's the church because here's the people. Open the doors and the church is going to leave the building in about a half an hour. And you're going to go continue to be the church wherever you go. We happen to meet in an old Bill Jensen Crescent Chevrolet building on Ingersoll Avenue. And that's where the church is right now, but in about 35 minutes, the church is going to be spread out all over Des Moines, and the city of Des Moines is going to be a different place this week because the church gathered and then the church scattered. Amen? That's what it means to be the church. Followers of Jesus sent on a mission, living in the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing we can't forget in this story. The reason that all of this works, the reason that all of that happens is because of the fourth big thing, and that's they were all together. They were all together. They didn't scatter all over Jerusalem. Jesus said, I want you to have unity. When we start, I want you to be all together. There is power in together. There's power in being all together, even on Memorial Day weekend. Praise God that you're here. This is the day that the Lord has made. Even Memorial Day weekend, even every weekend coming up this summer. I know of a church up in Minnesota where everybody goes to the lake, and I know the pastor, and he's just kind of being sarcastic and kind of trying to be funny. He put a giant sign on the front of the church lawn on Memorial Day going into the summer, and it said, yes, we're still open. And he kept it up all summer. Because a lot of people think, ah, we don't really need to be together. It's summer, and I know, I get it. I love summer. But a lot of our schedules change and our routines change and it's easy to get a little lazy and lackadaisical and that kind of creeps into our faith sometimes. And we forget the power of togetherness, the power of what happens when we're all gathered together. And my challenge for you this summer is to not forget the power of what happens when we gather together. There was a a mom that uh, wrote this blog and somebody that I follow on Twitter and she put it on there. Somebody put it on there. They posted it, and the thing went viral. It was her own personal page. It was her own personal blog, and it just went viral, and it took off because it resonated with so many people. She's just a young mom with a couple kids, and her blog is called Missing Sunday. Missing Sunday. I just want to read a little bit about the power and the impact of not just together back in Acts, but together for us these days. She says, quite honestly, I didn't think that missing a Sunday was a big deal. It's not a sin. It's not earth-shattering. No one really notices, or, or do they? Then I had a baby, and then I went on maternity leave, and then I got in a rut. Because when I miss a Sunday, I miss more than I ever thought. From birthday parties to a sick baby to a whole variety of reasons that have kept me from participating on Sunday mornings. And I would watch online, and online is a great choice to stay connected when I can't be there in person. But given the choice, attending on Sunday morning trumps all else every time. Why? And then she lists these three reasons, and I'll just summarize them for you. She says, when I skip Sunday morning, number one, I miss uninterrupted time to listen for God's wisdom. She says, Sunday's practical teaching translates into godly service and, I, and I, things that I can apply to my life. It's valuable. And when I'm in Uh, the worship service, I have uninterrupted time. No screaming kids, no cell phones, no TV, no radio, no computers. She says, and it's time to focus on what God is teaching me and reflect on how he wants me to grow. Uninterrupted time. Number two, she says, I miss the value of worshiping God through music with others. She says, this one's interesting. It might even surprise you. She says, but Sundays are an irreplaceable opportunity to take a step back 
from the busy day-to-day and directly praise the God that loves me and is incredibly worthy of my worship no matter how my week has gone, she says. And then number three, she says, when I miss a Sunday, I miss the power and the movement of the church. She says this, hundreds or thousands of people moving in the same God-given direction is powerful, and it doesn't happen when we are disengaged. She says, when I miss Sunday mornings, I miss how God is moving our church community to action. I don't want to miss being a part of the power and the movement of God's church. Plus, if I'm not there, then how can I bring anybody with me? This is a 24-year-old mom of two. When I miss a Sunday, she says, I miss way more than I ever thought. What I hear in that, what I hear in Sarah's heart, is if you want all that God has for you, if you want to experience that same power of the Holy Spirit, you have to be there. You have to be there. You ever had one of those conversations with people where somebody, there's a kind of a group of people and somebody's like, oh, you guys, you got to hear this really funny story of something that happened to me. And they go through the whole story and they just think it's absolutely hilarious and everybody listening to the story is going, uh, awkward, like that's not funny at all, right? Happens to me every Sunday when I tell jokes in my sermon. And then at a certain point, somebody, that person telling the story goes, oh, I guess you just had to be there. I guess you just had to be there. There are certain situations and seasons in our lives, certain moments where you have to be there with other people. You have to be together to experience that. And nobody knows that better than a bunch of Boston Bruin hockey fans. Now, very seldom do I talk about hockey in worship because I don't know a lot about it. But can you believe that about four years ago, was the Boston Marathon bombings. I was thinking about this on this Memorial Weekend and thinking about how honored and blessed that we are to be able to worship in safety and freedom. And there are certain moments in our lives that we remember. And maybe you remember that, but what you may not remember is a couple days later, the Boston Bruins, their professional hockey team, had a game. And people are riled up, and they are fired up. And before the game, they have this guy named Rene Rancourt, a really famous soloist and sings at a lot of Boston sporting events, he's going to sing the national anthem. And normally when he sings the national anthem, he sings and everybody listens. And some people are like, oh, I'm here for a hockey game. You're like, and the Rockets, you know, like, oh, I forgot to put my hand on my chest. You know, like all, it's just not really into it. Very different this night. So he starts singing and then he just stops singing and the crowd takes over and well, you had to be there. Take a look at the power of being together when the spirit moves. Let's take a look. To say the least, there was some spirit in the room that night. And I'm trying to imagine somebody that was there that night three or four days after the bombings. Trying to explain that moment to somebody that wasn't there. And eventually, I think you just get to the point where you say, I think you just had to be there. And that's the the human spirit, the spirit of of patriotism. Folks, we have the Holy Spirit that's here every single week. I love the camera shot of that one lady that wasn't even singing. Do you see her eyes just got really big and buggy? And she was like, whoa. Like all of a sudden she was caught up in something much bigger than herself. That's the power of togetherness. 
And we have that opportunity here every single week. A chapter later in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit comes. And we're going to talk about this next week. And like literal tongues of fire came down on people and filled them up with a power they've never experienced before. And God started saving people and changing people's lives. And miracles started to happen. And people started to talk in languages they never talked in before. And amazing things happened because they were together. Because they didn't miss it. Because they didn't say I had something better going on. And sometimes I wonder if we underestimate as a church the power of what God is capable of. I'm guessing people went there that night expecting, I'm going to go to a hockey game. And then they experience that, and they're like, who needs a hockey game now? That was the highlight. What if you walked in here on a Sunday morning And instead of, oh, I'm going to go to my normal seat wherever I go to and I'm going to sit down and we'll sing some songs and John will give a sermon and I'll be a little inspired and I'll go home. What if you came in and said, you know what? I believe the Holy Spirit's here and I, I think that he could heal somebody today. In fact, he might even heal me. I've had this issue with my back for several years. It's like, why not today? The guy rose himself from the dead. I think he could probably heal your back or he could heal you physically or emotionally or spiritually or mentally. What if today's the day where you heard God's voice and you heard God speak to you and give you wisdom and direction that you've been longing to hear, but you just went through the motions because you think, oh, that's in the Bible. He doesn't do that anymore. You better believe he does. God's speaking all the time. What if you walked in here every Sunday morning and go, I got to hear from God. I need my mission for this next week. The point of church is to come and and get filled up and and to get my mission so I'm sent back out. It's not just to come and consume so I can go on with life as it is. This happens all the time. People have come here and during the service, whether it's in worship or the message, they hear something from God. It's a nothing that I said. And they hear from God, which you need to hear from him way more than you need to hear from me. And they said, I think God just gave me some direction. I've got what he's calling me to do for the next couple months. Over the next couple years. God can do that. He's done it and he can do it again. Don't underestimate what God is capable of on a Sunday morning. There's so much more than going through the motions. Hebrews 10 puts it this light way. Let's read it together, just this short verse. Let us not give up meeting together. One more time. Let us not give up meeting together. And there's no asterisk there that says, except during the summer in Iowa. Let us not grow weary Let us not give up meeting together because when we do, powerful things happen. There is a power in the church gathering together, but what we can't forget is that the church is also called to scatter. Right away in the book of Acts, yes, the follower of Jesus were together, and then right away, they scatter. They're sent on mission. The primary identity of the church is to be sent, and Jesus sends them out, and there's different places where he sends them out, and I like to think about Acts 1.8 in kind of this sense with these concentric circles. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria were kind of the surrounding regions, and to the ends of the earth. And so they, the, the circles get farther and farther away from Jerusalem. But notice where Jesus says, you are to start your mission. Where? In Jerusalem which happens to be the place they already are, their home. Jesus doesn't say, some of you are going to be ordinary Christians that just kind of go through the motions, and some of you are going to be great apostles and missionaries and go change the world. 
He says, you're all sent on mission, and where do you start is the place you're already living, with the people that you see and the places that you go every single day. Don't miss it. Jesus says, I want you to pour into your little corner of the world like you're going to be there the rest of your life. Whether it seems ideal or not, start at home, and then go out. Every single one of you is called to mission. And doesn't that change your entire mindset of what it means to be the church? My dream is that more and more it would be the case that you and I are coming to worship every single weekend having already been on mission. That maybe Sunday morning is still the highlight of your week, but the highlight of your week was actually Wednesday afternoon when you talked to your neighbor and you had this incredible conversation because you've been living as a missionary all week. And when we come on Sunday, it's just the icing on the cake, it's just the cherry on top because we've been living mission all week and then we just get to come on Sunday morning and celebrate it and there's lots of conversations going on saying, what did God do this week? Well, I saw the Holy Spirit show up in this way and God did this amazing thing and I can't wait for Sunday morning because I can't wait to tell the person next to me how God just changed my life and did this this week week instead of, hey, dude, how's the coffee? Which is okay, too. But there's way more to being the church than that. And then when we worship and when we sing, it's a celebration of what we've already been up to the whole week. Does that make sense? Say amen if you're with me. I know we're Lutheran, but follow along with me here, all right? We're on mission all the time, and that mission may be closer than you think. It may be the family across the street that's been going through a really difficult time financially and you've been living there for five years and you don't know their name. Maybe it's the guy that sits in your cubicle at work and you pass by him every day on the way to work as you get your coffee or whatever and then you just sit down and you have no idea that he's going through a divorce. And because he's a guy, we like to shove things down or inflict them on others, one of the two. And because he's a guy, he has a hard time talking about it and yet he is desperate for somebody to listen to him. That's being on mission. Maybe you're a single mom and you run into some moms around your neighborhood because you're out there playing with your kids and you see them and you're always like, hey, hey, I go to this church, but it's not a really big deal. It's just kind of a once a week thing. But hey, cute kids. God's saying, go, 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 go. Get out of your comfort zone and take a step of faith. Where is God sending you? What are your circles? Where are your circles of influence that God already has you that he says, it's not complicated. Start where you are by being who you are. The mission field is often closer than we think. That's the story of Kristen, a woman. I want to show you her quick story. She lives in Texas, but she could very well live in Des Moines, Iowa. She's got four kids. She's a regular, ordinary Christian, as a lot of us call ourselves, who God pushed and nudged out of her comfort zone. And watch what happens when you take three steps out your front door. Let's take a look. I'm Kristen Shell, and I live in Austin, Texas. We've been in this neighborhood um, almost 10 years. I always knew we were supposed to love our neighbors because that's the great commandment. But how you live that out day to day is hard, um, especially when you don't know your neighbors, which is the situation I was in. I did not know my neighbors. Sure, I knew, you know, a handful of them. And so there was this huge question, what do you want me to do, Lord? Here I am, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to walk across the street and bang on doors? Do you want me to take cookies? What do you want me to do, Lord? God answers prayers in really winsome ways. 
I was hosting a party with a friend in our backyard and I didn't have any tables. And so I ordered a picnic table from Lowe's. And when it arrived two days later, I knew. I knew that for the purposes of the party, I was gonna have it in my backyard. But as soon as that party was over, I was moving that table in the front yard and it was gonna be a gathering place. And so I painted it turquoise, which is my favorite color. And I did, I put it outside underneath the tree in the front yard. It was awkward at first. So I have this table, it's bright turquoise, it's sitting in the front yard, and now I'm like, well now what do I do? So I took a whole bunch of stuff out with me. I took my phone and my journal and my computer and I even, um, I had some art stuff that I was working on because you know, I needed to look like I was just doing something. By going out front, I was saying to God, here I am, Lord, your will be done. Go before, behind, and beside me into the neighborhood. And that very day, life changed, and I met a neighbor within three hours of putting a table out in my front yard. A lot has happened since putting the table out there. There are a handful of women who are now very close friends who I did not know. It has become kind of a gathering place. So one of the best things is just the sense of normal community, everyday life. The neighborhood kids come over. They'll do homework when the weather's pretty. We've had lemonade stands, hot cocoa stands. More intimately, um, it's a place where I can meet and have met neighbors um, who now pop by with coffee and just for 15 minutes, a, a conversation over coffee that wouldn't have happened. The Lord has taught me and I am learning to be present. Um, that, it sounds like it should be a no-brainer, but listening is not um, a skill that came naturally at first to me, nor was being present. This was really, really fun. It was great to see you here. Loving my neighbors has taught me how to love God better. It's drawn me into deeper relationship with Him. You don't need permission or a program to go outside and be who Christ has called you to be. When we open up our front door, we take three steps right out our front yard, good things happen. Open up your door and let God do the rest. Open up your door and let God do the rest. Folks, she put a turquoise picnic table in her front yard. She is not a theologian. She is not a overly churchy person. She is a regular, ordinary person who's following Jesus, who has been sent on a mission, who's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And God is going to use that. We have been given this incredible mission. And yet I know that there are those of you today that say, no, that's not for me. Still, there's others of you that are saying, you know what? I had a really bad experience with the church. And I don't want to be one of those people that walks up and knocks on, oh, we're not asking you to do that. Maybe. What is God calling you to do? What, where have you been sent? Some of you have been hurt by the church. Some of you have had a bad experience. Some of you have been judged. Some of you really aren't on board with this whole thing. I'm like, I'm good with Sunday morning, John, but John, but meeting my neighbors, like that's, that's a whole nother thing. I, I, I don't know about that. Church is messy. Church is hard. Sometimes people can be annoying. People can get on your nerves. Sometimes people can hurt you. Church isn't perfect. As your leaders, we're not perfect. And yet Jesus still calls us to be 
the church. And often I think when you look at the story of the, the imperfect early church and the imperfect church that we are now, it's easy to get cynical. It's easy to say, I don't need to come every week. There's other things on my agenda. There's other things to do. Would, would, it, would it amaze you to think that maybe the things that bother you about church should actually be the things that amaze you about church? The fact that God, for 2,000 years, has worked through and with broken and perfect people like you and I, and this movement that started with one man now continues to grow and shows no signs of slowing down, and millions of lives have been changed, including yours. The reason you're sitting here today is because somebody put a picnic table in their front yard or because they walked across the aisle at church after worship instead of jetting out and they went over and said hi and they met you and they shook your hand or they gave you a hug or they introduced themselves to you. Somebody, a youth director in your youth group or a pastor took you under their wing. Somebody, a friend invited you to this Lutheran Church of Hope one time. Somebody had the guts to get out of their comfort zone and take three steps and say, God, how do you want to use me? And that's the reason that you're here. We are a continuation of the book of Acts. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful when the church, as broken and imperfect as it is, lives out its mission. We've had a busy couple weeks here. God doesn't take the summer off, and so no, neither do we. These past couple weeks, we had our first ever preschool graduation here a couple Wednesday nights ago. This place was packed, mostly with parents and family members that don't have a church home, that probably don't know Jesus. And yet their kids are up here proclaiming the good news of God's love to them through goofy, silly preschool songs. And I'm sitting here going, nine months ago, this didn't exist. This is beautiful. A couple nights later, we had our first ever marriage night, and this place was packed again with couples. 50 people came to invest in their marriage. And I'm sitting here watching couples have intentional conversation and love each other well. I'm going, this is beautiful. This morning when I got to church, I saw dozens of you upstairs serving breakfast, feeding, cleaning up, cleaning up eggs off the floor. <laughs> and it's messy, and it's beautiful. Beautiful, almost like a, like a bride on her wedding day. And is it any wonder that one of the favorite names that Jesus has for his church in scripture is the bride of Christ? beautiful, holy, radiant. Guys, I don't know if you can go back with me, those of you that are married, if you remember that moment when you saw your bride, your wife in her wedding dress for the first time walking down the aisle. I do. I was a mess. I lost it. And like in that moment, I remember thinking, like there isn't anything that I wouldn't do for you. Like I would, I would give my life for you. I would die for you. And Jesus is saying, exactly. As messy and imperfect as the church is, as much as you feel like it's an inconvenience to your schedule sometime, this is how important Jesus thinks of the church. He died for it. He gave it all. This past weekend, this past week, our family was coming home from a quick family vacation up to the Twin Cities and we were driving home and Tiffany was in the front seat with me and this August will be eight years for us, we've known each other for almost 20 years. And I'm looking at this woman that I've watched grow up and she's watched me grow up and change and have a lot less hair than I used to and we've changed in a lot of different ways and I'm looking over at her and we're driving and the sun's coming down and shining on her and you ever have those moments in your life where God just says, slow down and take it in. And I had this 
flashback of her in her wedding dress coming down the aisle and I looked over at her and it just popped into my head. I just thought to myself, I love this woman more than I ever have. And we're not perfect and we've had our fair share of arguments, but I love her so much. And I think God looks at us as the church and he says the same thing. I believe in the church. There's no plan B, it's plan A for building my kingdom and as broken as imperfect as it is, I am going to use you and I want to use you. I am sending you on a mission as you leave these doors today. I have something so much more for you than coming and going through the motions. God says, I died for this, it's so important. This mission is so important. It's gonna be a great summer. It's gonna be a Holy Spirit-filled summer. Hope Kids is still going on. Vacation Bible School is going to be blowing the roof off the place. Life groups are continuing to meet throughout the week. There's a prayer prayer class going on right now. We're going to be here every single week. We're open, folks. We're just as open as we've ever been because God doesn't take the summer off, and so neither do we. Amen? And my challenge to you as we close today is to not be one of those people that at the end of August, you're thinking to yourself, oh, I guess I just had to be there because you missed it. Don't underestimate what God can do when we gather together and when he sends you out on mission. And yet we're nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. So I invited the worship team back up and we're going to close in song today and I invite you to stand up and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to be present right now and to move and fill us up. And so we're just going to be fully present right now. We're not going to worry about what's coming up next. We're not going to worry about who's around us. we're just going to say, Holy Spirit, have your way among us. There is nothing more important for us right now, God, than being in your presence and hearing your voice. So we ask that as we sing, as we worship, as we center ourselves on you, that you would fill us up, that you would give us what we need to be sent out as your church on mission this week. God, pour your Holy Spirit into our lives. We love you. We worship you.